Chapter Seven of Where the Path Breaks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Where the Path Breaks by Captain Charles de Crespigny. Chapter Seven. Part Two, The Letters. John Sanborn had smiled when he read the critic's prophecy that he was bound to get letters of appreciation from half the women in the world, and he had thought no more of the comic suggestion until the letters began to come. But the letters were not comic. They were forwarded in large packets by Sibley and Company, and there were many, incredibly many of them, some from men, but mostly from women. The writers felt impelled to tell the author of The War Wedding what a wonderful book they thought it was, or how much good it had done them in their different states of mind. These states the readers of Sanborn's book described almost as penitents confessing to a priest detail their sins. And the strange confidences, or pitiful pleadings for advice and help from one who seemed to know such glorious truths about life and death, were desperately pathetic to Denon. He was utterly amazed and overwhelmed by this phase of his unlooked-for success, and knew not how to cope with it. The first thousand and more letters were all from people in the United States. Then letters from Canada began drifting in. At last, when the war wedding had been on sale and selling edition after edition for eight weeks, a rather smaller parcel than usual arrived from the publishers, Denon, who was in the garden, took it from the postman at the new gate which led to the Mirador. It was in the morning, and he had been gathering late roses. For every day he decorated with her favorite blossoms the two principal rooms of the house which child Barbara had loved. He had a big pair of scissors in his hand, and sitting down on a bench, in the cool strip of shade that ran the length of the lower balcony, he cut the string which fastened the packet. This he did not because he was impatient to see what it contained, but because he was warm and tired after two hours of garden work and wanted an excuse to rest. The letters of so many sad women who begged for counsel that he knew not how to give were having a shattering effect upon his nerves. He had not supposed that there were so many tragic souls of women in the world, outside the war zone, and he dreaded the details of their lives. Sometimes he was half-tempted to put the letters away or destroy them unread. There was a vague hope in his mind that this parcel might have something other than letters in it, but as the shears bit the tightly tied string, the stout linen envelope burst open and began to disgorge its contents. Letters, letters, letters. Between his feet John Sanborn had placed the basket of roses, and the letters, falling out of the big envelope, began to drop onto the green leaves and crepy crisp blooms of pink and white and cream. "'English stamps,' he said aloud, for the habit had grown upon him of talking to himself. Bending down to pick up the letters, a dark flush streamed to his forehead. There was one envelope of the same texture, the same gray-blue tint, and the same long, narrow shape that Sir John Denon had liked and always used at Gorston Old Hall. It had fallen face downward, 
and as he rescued it from a fragrant bath of dew, he slowly turned it over. There was an English stamp upon this envelope also, and it was addressed to John Sanborn, Esquire, care of Messrs. Eversedge Sibley and Company, in Barbara's handwriting. For an instant everything went black, just as it had done months ago when he had got on his feet too suddenly in hospital. He shut his eyes and leaned back with his head against the house wall, the wall of Barbara's Mirador. It was as if he could hear her voice speaking to him across six thousand miles of land and sea. But it spoke to John Sanborn, not to John Denon. My God, she's read the book. She's written. He had to say the words over to himself before he could make the thing seem credible. And even then he did not open the letter. He dreaded to open it, and sat very still and rigid, grasping the envelope as if it were an electric battery of which he could not let go. What if she hated the book? What if she wrote, as a woman who had been twice a war bride, to say that a subject such as he had chosen was too sacred to put into print? What if she felt bound to reproach the author for treading brutally on holy ground? If that was what the letter had to say to him, his message of peace had failed, and all his patched-up scheme of existence broke down in that one failure. The thought that he was a coward shrinking from a blow nerved him to open the letter. He was on the point of tearing the envelope, but he could not be rough with the thing Barbara had touched, nor could he deface it. He took up the scissors and cut off one end of the envelope, then drew out a sheet of the familiar gray-blue paper. Unfolding it, his hands trembled. All the rest of his life, such as it was, he felt, hung on what he was about to read. The letter began abruptly. You must have many letters from strangers, but none will bring you more gratitude than this. If you are like your book, you are too generous to be bored by grateful words from people whose sore hearts you help to heal, so I won't apologize. You could not write as you do, I think, if you didn't want to do good to others. Will you then help me, even more than you have helped me already, by answering a question I am going to ask? Will you tell me whether the wonderful things you say, to comfort those of us who are losing our dearest in battle, are just inspired thoughts, or whether you have yourself been very near death, so near that you caught a vision from the other side? If you answer me, and if you say that actual experience gave you this knowledge, your book which has already been like a strong hand dragging me up from the depths, will become a beautiful message meant especially for me out of all the whole world, making all my future life bearable. Every night for months I've gone to bed unable to sleep, because I've felt exactly as if my brain were a battlefield, full of the agony and hopelessness of brave men dying violent and dreadful deaths, cut off in the midst of youth, with the stories of their lives tragically unfinished. But since I read in your book that marvelous scene with those suddenly released spirits, young men of both sides, friends and enemies, meeting and talking to each other, saying, Is that all? 
Is this the worst that death can do to us? Why, I seem to pass beyond the battlefield. I go with those happy, surprised young men who are seeing for the first time the great reality behind the thing, and a feeling of rest and immense peace comes to me. I don't keep it long at a time. I can't yet. But if you write and say you know, I think I may some day learn to keep it. I have the English edition of your book, but I have read in a newspaper an extract from the interview a journalist had with the publisher in New York. You see, everybody who has someone dear in the war, or has lost someone beloved, is reading and talking of the book. They all want to know things about you, but perhaps not all for as real a reason as mine. Some people have said that perhaps the author may be a woman who chooses to write under a man's name. I felt sure from the first it couldn't be so, for only a man could say those things as you say them, but I was glad of your publisher's assurance that you are a man, and that your home now is in the far west in America. Perhaps I shouldn't have dared write you if you were in this country, because... But no, I needn't explain. My name can be of no interest to you, yet I will sign it. Yours gratefully, Barbara Denon. Barbara Denon! She had kept his name! Many a woman did, as he was aware, after a second marriage continued to use the name of her first husband in order to retain a title. But all he knew of the girl Barbara Fay made it amazing to him that she should hold to the name of a man she had never loved, after becoming the wife of a man she had loved since childhood. A wild doubt set his brain on fire. Could there have been some terrible misunderstanding? Was it possible that, after all, she had never married Trevor Darcy? Carried away on the flame of passion fanned by her letter, Denon told himself that it might be so, and that if she were free he would still have the right to go back to her. If she had not given herself to another man, she belonged to him, to him alone, and she would not hate him if he explained the sacrifice he had made for her sake. He was on his feet before he knew what he was doing. The blinding hope lit body and soul as with some curative ray beyond the ultraviolet. It shot through his worn frame life and abounding health, making of him for a magical moment more than the man he had been a year ago. But it was only a moment, indeed less than a moment for it did not take him sixty seconds to remember how he had heard of Barbara's marriage to her cousin Captain Darcy. Walter Severn, the airman, had said that her wedding had taken place on the same day with his own. Severn had blamed her. Every word he had said was branded on Denon's brain. There could be no mistake. Whatever the motive might be for signing herself Barbara Denon, she was, in all certainty, Darcy's wife. With the violent reaction of feeling came a sense of physical disintegration. A heavy fatigue that weighted his heart and turned his bones to iron followed the brief buoyancy of spirit. Yet he could not rest. He had to walk, 
to keep in constant movement, to escape some tidal wave which threatened suddenly to engulf his soul. He passed out from the cool shadow of the balcony into the blaze of sunlight and drank in the hot perfume of the flowers. At the end of a path a tall cypress held its black, burnt-out torch high against the sky. Denon went and leaned against it, doubly glad of his loneliness in this refuge he had found, and thankful that none but the trees and flowers of his garden could see him in his weakness and his pain. The dark cypress he looked up to seemed to have gone through fire and to have triumphed over death. Denon felt a kind of kinship with it, wishing that from the tree and from all nature calmness and strength might pass into his spirit. He imagined that he could hear the rushing of sap deep under the rough bark. Generations of joys and sorrows had come and gone since the tree was young, and had vanished, leaving no more trace than sun or storm. So it would be with what he was suffering now. The things that mattered in the life of this earth were strength and steadfastness. Denon prayed for them, a voiceless prayer to nature. When he grew calmer, he walked again and lifted up his face to the sun. "'I'll answer her letter,' he thought. It seemed strange to him now, after the shock of what had happened, that when the letters began to come, he had never imagined himself receiving one from Barbara. He had had the book published in order that it might have some chance of reaching her, of helping her, yet the proof that she had been reached and helped had come upon him like a thunderbolt. Of course he was thankful, now that he put it to himself in such a way. He ought to be almost happy, he tried to think, but he was at the world's end from happiness. A hurricane had swept through his soul, and it would take him a long time to build up again the miserable little refuge which had been his house of peace. Still, it didn't matter about himself. He would write to Barbara and give her the assurance she asked for. He was glad now of a whim that had led him to learn typewriting two or three years ago, for he could not trust to disguising his hand so well that she might not recognize it. It was many months since he had practiced typing, but he thought that in a few hours he might again pick up the trick which he could not quite have lost. Rather than let himself think any longer, he went out at once, walking to the town, where he bought a small typewriter of a new make. Its lettering was in script, which seemed less offensive and coldly businesslike for a letter than print. Back again at the Mirador, he tried the machine, and sooner than he had expected, the old facility returned. Then he was ready to begin his answer to Barbara. But for a long time he sat with his fingers on the keys, his eyes fixed upon them aimlessly. It was not that he could find nothing to say. He could find too many things, and too many ways of saying those things but all were expressions of thoughts which he might not put on paper for Barbara to read. Even after he began to type, he took page after page out of the machine and tore up each one. 
Vaguely he felt that the right way was to be laconic, that he ought to show no emotion, lest he should show too much. Finally he finished a few paragraphs which he knew to be lame and halting, like himself, stiff and altogether inadequate. Yet he was sure that he would be able to do no better, and so he determined to send his letter off as it was. "'You say you are grateful to me,' Denon began, as abruptly as Barbara had begun in writing to him. "'But it is for me to be grateful to you, really, for speaking to you as you do of my story, The War Wedding. I am answering your letter the day it has reached me, because you are anxious to have a reply to your question. It is what you wished it might be. I have been very near to death, so near that I seem to see a cross to the other side of what we think of as a gulf. If I saw aright, it is not a gulf. Those voices of young men passing suddenly over in crowds, I thought, I believed, and still believe I heard. I can almost hear them now, because one does not forget such things, if one comes back. I trust this answer may be of some comfort to you, and if you can feel, as you say you will feel, that my book has a message especially for you, I shall be very glad and proud. Yours sincerely, John Sanborn. When he reread the typed letter, one point struck him which had not so sharply pierced his intelligence before. The effect of the appeal from Barbara, the miracle of its coming, and the poignant obligation it thrust upon him, had been too overpowering at first. He had not stopped, after breaking short his wild hope of her freedom, to dwell on the strangeness of one part of her letter above another. But now, in judging his own phrases, he came to a stop at a sentence towards the end of the page. I trust this may be of some comfort to you. Won't that way of putting it sound conceited? he asked himself. But no, she had used that very word, comfort, in her letter. As he remembered this, the thought suddenly woke in him that she had written as a woman might write who was in deep sorrow. Yet she could not be in deep sorrow. She had her heart's desire, and at worst, her feeling for the man who was gone, John Denon, could only be a mild, impersonal grief that his life had to be the price of her happy love. He had longed, in writing the story of the war wedding, to show Barbara why even that mild grief was not needed, because in giving great joy to another soul a woman earned the right to her own happiness. Denon could not bear to think that pity for him might shadow Barbara's sunshine, but he had not dreamed until today that the shadow could be dark. Now, the more intently he studied her appeal to the author of the book, the more difficult he found it to understand her state of mind. Barbara spoke of herself as one of the many women whose sore hearts ached for healing because they were losing their dearest in battle. And she said that, if he could give her the assurance she asked for, the story of the war wedding would seem to hold a personal message, making her future life bearable. 
What a generous and sensitive nature she had! And what beautiful loyalty to mourn sincerely for a man she had never loved, but to whom she owed a few material advantages. It was wonderful of the girl, and he worshipped her for it. His sacrifice for her was easier because of this warm sense of her gratitude, and he kissed the paper he had just written on for her, because some day it would be touched by her hands. "'If I only dared to say more to comfort her and beg her to be happy,' he thought. But the one safe way had been to make his answer to her calmly impersonal, perhaps even a little cold. For fear he might be seized with an irresistible desire to add something more, something from his heart instead of his head, Denon put the letter into an envelope and sealed it. Then, however, he stumbled upon a new difficulty which had not occurred to him before. He was in the act of addressing her as Lady Denon, since she chose to keep his name, when his heart stood still in the face of a danger he had barely escaped. How was a stranger like John Sanborn to know that she was Lady Denon? If, inadvertently, he had written the name thus and sent the letter to the post, even so slight a thing might have made her guess the truth. Instead of comforting, he might have plunged her into humiliation and despair. Barbara had not spoken of herself in the letter as being married. For all John Sanborn was supposed to know, she might be a girl mourning a brother or a lover. At last he addressed her as Mrs. or Miss Denon, Gorston Old Hall, and with several other letters which he forced himself to write, he enclosed the stamped envelope in a note to Eversedge Sibley. "'Please post these in New York,' he begged. "'I don't care to have everyone know where I live.'" End of chapter 7 Recording by Roger Moline